welcome to part two of the 24th episode of the Ocean Decade Show, a podcast dedicated to guiding you down the yellow brick road of this global initiative to transform the ocean, housed within the American Shoreline Podcast Network family. My name is Taylor Gills, and I'm your host and tour guide on our adventure through the Ocean Decade. So I'm back in my comfort zone <laughs> for this uh, part two episode in terms of having a guest for this episode. I don't have to monologue the whole time, which uh, you would think it would be easy for someone like me who talks for a living, but it is not. <laughs> it's so nice to have someone to ask questions of and, and work off of during this uh, this podcast. So I'm not going to have much of an intro for this episode because I want to dive in with my guest. Um, so uh, Yako is the director of Africa at Fugro. Fugro is the world's leading geodata, geodata specialist. And Fugro is an abbreviation of the Dutch words for foundation and ground mechanics, which I just learned in researching this, which is fascinating. <laughs> Founded in 1962, um, over the past 60 years, they've really developed a deep understanding of geodata. And they've been a leader since the beginning of the Ocean Decade, uh, in particular through the Nippon Foundation Gebco Seabed 2030 project, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit here today, which is inspiring the complete mapping of the world's oceans by 2030 and to compile all bathymetric data into freely available Gebco Ocean Map. So I'm really excited to hear from Yako about his work with Fugro, work with the Ocean Decade, and his experience at COP27. So that's kind of the reason this is the part Two, um, I talked about my COP experience in the first one, but knowing that I was there from a very specific small window, it's fantastic to then open it up and see what other people thought. So, Yako, thank you for joining me today. Thank, thanks very much for the opportunity. I'm uh, very pleased to, uh, to be able to join your, your podcast today. So I'm looking forward to a nice, nice discussion and some, some interesting talks. Yeah. So let's start off with you know, who you are and what's been your path to the Ocean Decade. Yeah, so, so my name, as you said, Jakub Stemmet, um, uh, Director Africa for, for Fugra. And, I, and I'm, as a background, I'm a hydrographic uh, surveyor, so hydrographer, um, spent a lot of time out at sea, uh, based in, in Cape Town, so right on the southern tip of, of Africa. And um, so my responsibility is really around all, all that Fugra does uh, on the African continent. And uh, we also have presence on, in different countries, so not just in South Africa, but also in in different uh, African countries that we that we're based in. Um, so yeah, so it's it's related to that. You know, my, being a background in a hydrographer, um, I of course have a, a great interest in mapping the seabed, and uh, and so when this opportunity came along and localizing it down to the African continent, um, being an African myself, uh, it was it was the logical step, and I was I was jumping with both feet at the same time. So. Um, so happy to be taking part in the whole, the whole worldwide and global initiative that is the Ocean Decade. That's fantastic, and yeah, I think that's how a lot of us have entered into the Ocean Decade: is just <laughs> feet in, you know, plugging our nose, making sure that we dive right in and understand it all, and understand nothing at the same time. So I'm interested because I in hydrography a little bit too. So what led to your kind of passion for that, and the passion for you know, kind of ocean in particular? Yeah, I, th I think, uh, you know, we all have a, uh, we all sometimes try to find that, what is that one little moment? And, and I think sometimes it's not a, not a globe lightning moment that, that changed you, but it, it's maybe a, a, a succession of little moments that builds us into what we, where we develop and where we end up um, and still progress into. And um, so for me, I think, if, if I think back, you know, my, my dad was a, 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 an avid 
um, angler. Sports fishing, he loved it. He would spend weekends on the water fishing. And of course, being a, a, a little youngster wanting to join in, I was often joining him on these um, on these fishing um, expeditions. But but what it actually then led to is he, with the sports fishing, he um, he then got into contact with uh, an institute called the um, Ocean uh, Oceanographic Research Institute. And they had this program where they wanted to start a tag and release program for sports fishermen to really, if I can call it, let's call it, let's call it the early days of, of citizenship um, scientists and, and using that angle to get sports fishermen to assist scientists in in really determining what is the movement of the fish, what is the, uh, where do they, um, uh, yeah, where do they move along the coast? And this was all on the southern, uh, southeastern coast of South Africa, down towards the the southern coast. So, so yeah, he he really took that on, ran with it, started getting all the clubs involved, and and they actually started um, getting a, a a large number of um, of fishermen really. Um, getting caught up in this in this movement and, and seeing the the benefits and wanting to be part of these initiatives, so yeah, so so that I think if I think back as a as a youngster, um, you know, just listening to to how they the, the scientists would then take this data that the the fishermen who were not scientists who were weekend warriors if I can call them, you know, out on their little boats That's and, ca- and catching fish for, the, for them. <laughs> Exactly. So, so weekend warriors out out on the water, um, but now all of a sudden contributing to something, you know. And um, and I thought it was a it was a it's look it's a small scale, but it, it, one has to start somewhere. And it was a good good way of changing some people's um, idea of of fishing and and how we create sustainable fishing. If, if I look at it like that, yeah, and that's so great too it's the kind of integration of these different types of knowing and you know fishermen get to learn more about the science but then scientists get to learn about you know how fishermen know things and how and that's kind of the whole point of what i think the ocean decade is trying to do is some of that integration so that's been part of your journey since the very beginning yeah no no, absolutely and i I think that's um it has to be we also said with the ocean decade you know thinking back about it now it's a it's a bottom-up movement and um, and I think the local aspect here really did play a role in that you 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 get the local um, community involved, um, and then that just kind of drives a, the success of it further along. Um, yeah, and I think after that, uh, you know, I I always liked sailing and boating and and joined the navy. So I joined the navy as a, as an officer, um, went basically made ocean going. Um, a career by, by sailing on the oceans uh, as a navigator, um, and I sailed all over the world. Uh, I was also an exchange student with a with a French Navy on board their flagship, uh, the Jeanne d'Arc, which does a um, which which took part. I didn't know they do exchange students for the Navy. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and 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 again, you know, we we talk about you know diversifying teams and things. And if you think about it, um, for them it was a nice, you know, here I was. A South African doesn't. It's quite far away from France. I had to learn the language, but um, but quite far away and quite different in thinking, you know. So uh, so culturally wise, thought process is totally different, and and I think that was what the the French Navy really I think was about to try and engender that with their junior officers because we were all junior officers sort of embarking on a career as a 
as a naval officer, um, expected to to take all sorts of um, decisions as they as they move through the ranks, and um, and this is a good way of of really integrating it and and making sure that people understand different cultures. Part of our part of the training was to sail around the world, um, and and then integrating with different countries, and understanding how language, culture, background really does um, differentiate us, but also brings brings people together in that you you need to understand what they're all about. Yeah, so you were set up really well then to work on the Ocean Decade. And um, we'll talk a little bit first about, you know, Fugro and the work you're doing there and then get into the, you know, the work that you're doing with with the IOC. But I gave a little bit of an intro, Fugro, but how would you kind of describe the company that you work for? Yeah, I think, you know, without um, wanting to sort of do a whole uh, sales pitch, I'd say, you know, I think it's safe to say nowadays that we we're all living in a we we'd have to have to have been living somewhere very remote not to realize that it's it's a period of of intense accelerating change you know things are changing around the world quite dramatically and quite a lot quicker um, and over the com- coming decades we'll also see you know there's things like population growth if I look at Africa where I'm from they're talking about a you know, the population growth in Africa to 2050 is is almost doubling. Um, you have demand and with population growth comes increasing urbanization. There's demand for energy, demand for water, food, minerals. So so all of these things are, are, are really an, a, in the coming decades is going to be uh, questions and challenges that, that's going to come up. And, and the technology of how do we deal with this? So all of these trends... And, and probably the, the biggest one of them all being climate change um, are massive challenges for the, for the whole world. And I think one of the things that I, that I like that, that, that we often look at is we say the world and the future cannot just be about more the whole time. It has to be about better. So if we're looking about better, we, we're looking about what's that energy mix, what's the infrastructure, environment, um, and if we want to tackle those, those successfully. And at the heart of all of this, sits um, geodata. You know, we need to know what is the earth that we're on. We need to know what's under the sea. We need to know what's, what's uh, 20 meters down. How does whatever we do and build and construct and, and think up as, as society, how does that integrate with, with the earth, um, which we are all inhabitants of, and how does that um, impact the earth and how do we de-risk it and how do we um, make sure that it's done in a sustainable way. So, so that's very sort of a broadish, broadish way. There's obviously a lot of services and solutions and all of those kind of things that we use. But I think broadly, we, we have a we have a, a purpose that we that we state at Fugger and, and we say together we create a safe and livable world. And I think within that purpose, there's a lot that you can do and there's a lot that you can direct it towards. Um, but but at, in the end, you know, we, we need to we need to know what it is we're standing on, and what it is that we're going to be we're going to be constructing. That's so true. I've done you know episodes of this podcast and have worked on the Ocean Decade kind of long enough to understand how little data there is out there at times about things, and then you can't do anything or go anywhere without that. You can't measure change without knowing where you started. You can't inform policy with data if there's no data in order to inform said policy. Um, So I really think that, you know, 
the work that you all are doing and your commitment then to the Ocean Decade and how you're working with the IOC and other and other partners uh, is incredibly essential as one of these building blocks to creating the ocean that we want, you know, by, um, by the end of this decade. So, uh, Fugro, in addition to, you know, some of your work, your, I mentioned that you're working with the seabed 2030, if you want to talk a little bit about that and that you're an ocean decade Alliance member and, and what does that mean? How are you entangled with all this ocean decade stuff through Fugro? Yeah. So, so I think the, the whole, um, the aspect of CBA 2030, and as you as you mentioned, um, it's the amount of knowledge that we have of the seabed. It is, you know, comp- the, the age old phrase that I think many of us have heard many times, but I still find lots of people who've never heard this. So I'll say it again, as we know more about the, the surface of the moon and probably Mars than we do about, about our own ocean, ocean um, seabed. I still love hearing it every time because <laughs> exactly. it just... <laughs> shocks me in every conversation i always have one or two people who would whose eyes would raise and they go really is that is that the truth um they almost cannot believe it so um, so yeah so it, it is it is one of those things that we that you know through the nippon foundation jepco cb 2030 project that that uh, was started um uh, quite a couple of years ago and and that's where we have one of my uh Good colleagues and, and friends is uh, David Miller um, with Fugro, and he's um, he's based out in Washington, and he serves on this on this JEPCO uh, guiding committee. Yeah, I got to meet David for after chatting with him for years. I got to meet him in Portugal uh, this summer at the One Ocean Conference. So um, it's it's funny people that you know and have talked to forever, and then you finally get to say, "Oh, you have legs, and you're taller than I thought, and are you shorter than I thought?" You know, <laughs> you're taller than I thought. <laughs> I've had the exact one about the taller said to me about four times. Oh, really? Oh, you're a lot taller than you are. You should, you should adjust your camera because <laughs> it doesn't show your height. <laughs> yeah, so, the most important yeah. part, obviously. <laughs> so, no, it's, um, yeah, so, so with Seabed 2030, that was, you know, knowing what we do, you know, mapping of the seabed, um, it was an, it's an, it's like a hand in glove fit for us to, to really be involved in the, in the Seabed 2030 project. And, and through the Seabed 2030 project, it was, as we know, it's all about creating that holy mapped um, uh, ocean seabed and and getting there by 2030, which is ambitious. I, I think uh, we all realize it's, it's a really ambitious. We're now in 20, I can say almost 2023 already. But, um, but through this program, what we've kind of devised then is to say, um, you know, we've got vessels that sail between between projects, you know, whether that be a vessel coming down from Aberdeen down to West Africa or a vessel that sails up um, towards uh, Australia, wherever in the world, they have to move between projects. And while they're moving t- between projects, why not why not try and leverage this by by recording the seabed data during that period? Um, and then, then through that, we worked out some innovative uh, remote technology so that we don't always have to have a full survey crew on board the vessel to be able to do this because traditionally, you know, you have a vessel and you have, you have a survey team and, and people, engineers and everybody working on it. So, so by using a, some, some quite innovative methods, we managed to then transmit this data back to a, to a uh, control center data gets uh, recorded there. It gets um, processed. And from there it can get uploaded onto, um, onto JEPCO CBET 2030 platforms and um so so just by doing that we have um up to now 
I think it was beginning of this year or something, we just surpassed 2 million square 2 million square kilometers of battery data, which has gone to Seabed 2030. So that's already been already been donated. Wow. And, and in, in, in essence, the, the cost is not that extravagant. The downside is, of course, it's, um, you know, it's in, while you're transiting. So it's not the project data. It's the, it's the data that, that's in between um, what we collect during projects. But we, what we'll talk a little bit later about project data and, and how we what our plans are for that. So that's basically around um, CBET 2030. And then, and that's how we um, became involved there. So when, when the, the, uh, the ocean, ocean decade came along, I mean, it was like, we've got the, the one hand is fitting the glove on the left hand. We might, this glove is fitting just as well on the right hand. You know, it's, it is really so in line. It is so in line with what we do that it, it is, it's almost, um, it's a no brainer to really become, involved and then to to play that role as as a as a private sector company which um which i think up until now is it's often um not been that actively done um you know private sector needs more encouragement to 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 step up um but i think we're getting there i think it's 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 definitely improving and and um and we'd like to to take like that sort of a, a role in there um by doing that more and more yeah that's so all of those pieces that you mentioned, you know, the, the role of the private sector, the importance of, you know, collecting data along the way, all these little things are how we're, you know, kind of transforming who interacts with the ocean, who thinks they have a stake in what the ocean is. You know, I think for a long time, the private sector didn't necessarily see themselves as an ocean stakeholder in a lot of cases. Um, but are so crucial and contribute so much, especially when we think about if we want to transform the ocean. In in my mind, I've always thought of that meaning that almost everything about how we interact with the ocean, how we study it, needs to change in some way. You know, and so we can't keep doing things the same way we have been doing them. We need new partners, we need creative thinking, we need, you know, innovators to to come in and say, well, why don't we try it like this? And maybe this can work better. Maybe it doesn't, but then we try again. It's so crucial. Talk a little bit uh, specifically maybe about your partnership with the IOC and what does it mean to be a kind of private sector partner? I'd love to, you know, have this as a case study for other private sector people listening who might want to, who might want to get involved. Yeah, no, that's, that's, um, so, so again, um, you know, David Miller played a, a crucial role, yeah, you know, um, bringing the, bringing the two parties together. Um, and then, so, so with IOC UNESCO, uh, they basically introduced, uh, Fugro to the United Nations Global Compact, um, which is, uh, of course, a volunteer initiative, uh, that's based on, on CEO commitments to, to really implement those universal sustainability principles. And then take take those steps towards um, supporting of the United Nations um, sustainability goals. And then since then, um, you know, we've taken part in in quite a lot of uh, initiatives and really focusing on the call it the, the ocean stewards stewardship part of the ocean decade. Uh, taking it then back to what was it now? We're in twenty twenty one September around September twenty twenty one. That's when Fugro and, and IOC UNESCO then said we're gonna. We're going to basically enter into this partnership agreement, and but the the agreement is not just to to say we're partners. <laughs> the, the The partnership has got a specific um, goal, if I can call it, a specific aim, and that being 
trans- transforming the, literally the coordination of the, the global ocean science data, you know, improving and including how do we access all of this private sector data that it, so that it can be in support of the ocean decade. So what I mentioned a little bit earlier when I said, you know, we, we collect the data between projects. Now, now we're starting to look at, you know, what is, what is the data that's actually already there um, and how do we now uh, access that data and how do we create that, that environment for it? So, so we had some specific uh, agreements in place in that we want to drive the, the, the geodata aspect, the part where we say large global companies who are either in any ocean uh, sphere where they're collecting data on behalf of somebody or they're actually the ones collecting the data um, for project purpose, for, uh, for whatever the scientific purpose, whatever it is, but that we then start saying, well, how do we now create an environment where this can get accessed by the science community that really needs it um, in, the, in the manner that they need it to make more informed decisions, to help policymakers make more informed decisions and to create that sort of a um, global um, knowledge base. We spoke in the beginning that, you know, it's, it's quite appalling for us how little data there is around the world. And I think in some cases there are data that in certain places which we just don't know about or that's not accessible. So that was kind of what we, that's what, that's what was our drive. And I, and I think important in this whole partnership was, you know, that it's, we had the, the, the absolute full as well as personal support of the, of the CEO, Mark Heiner, who, who really put his weight behind this and says, this is what we're doing as a company. And it's, I find it absolutely amazing, you know, when you, when you have that commitment from CEO level, then board members, shareholders, employees, everybody just sort of gets behind it. Because it comes with the the right, um, yeah, with the right drive and commitment. You know, it's not just we're not just here for to to say hello to everybody and and to have long chats. There's actually some purpose behind it, and we really want to see. And and that to me is the power that it, that private sector can deliver. When you when you get to that stage, that power that's quite powerful within any company to have that sort of a delivery. Um, doesn't matter what you do. I think you, you always need that kind of delivery for, for any part for um, company. Yeah. And to have the kind of buy-in from all the big stakeholders, you know, everyone who, who matters within the company too, to really inspire the rest of, you know, the people to say, this is how we do it. And this is why we want to do it. And this is why it's important. And this is how it fits into our mission. Because sometimes I know when I first started working on the ocean deck and I feel like this is still an issue now with some people of like, Oh, well, this is an extra thing. You know, this is superfluous. There's no, you know, like direct funding with this. So like, why are we, why are we doing this? You know? And so having that kind of, so what is still so crucial for others to be able to, to argue. And there's all different reasons to get involved, but it's not always obvious to people at first, I think. No, absolutely. And I think there's, I mean, there's a lot of, you can, you can look at it, um, in, in various ways, you know, because I get asked this question all the time. Eh? It's like, um, yeah, so what's in it for you? You know, why, why is a private business, what are you, what are you in there for? Um, so, so it is a question that everybody asks. But I, I think it's, um, you know, I think when you, when you know that you can attribute something, you can make some, some changes. Um, and it's not just about the money. Eh? It's not, it's, there's, there's various, and this is kind of what we also structured into our, um, into our uh, partnership with UNESCO, you know, it's, it's allocating resources sometimes, 
You know, we have we have a, a knowledge um, officer, a person who's literally um, working with UNESCO, driving these working groups. We've kind of assigned him to this to this cause. Um, we uh, he then drives this on behalf of with together with UNESCO, together with Fugro, and getting all the the different companies on board. But that's that's a kind of a, an example of um, you know you can through resource and through knowledge base you can really drive it and become involved into it um and I, you know it's the, the other thing i think is, is sometimes I, I just say to people yeah but it's also it's also a moral aspect you know it's a moral and social aspect for private sector to really be supporting it you know in the end you, you can we can try and say all sorts of things as well but it's nothing wrong with at some point saying well it's you know morally we also think it's it's the right thing to do you know and leave it at that it's the right thing to do so, um, yeah, so very interesting. Um, exactly. Whatever works to help inspire people. And you hope it's the, <laughs> you hope it's the right thing to do kind of group, but then you come with, uh, backup arguments as well for if that doesn't inspire them. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so Fugro is really involved with the ocean decade overall, but this newest aspect that, uh, we've kind of hinted at that I'm really excited to talk about and for me to learn more about is this Africa task force. So tell me more about that, which just recently launched, uh, a few months ago. What is it and what's the purpose? Yeah. So, so for Africa, you know, um, I think we have to, we have to also recognize globally, the ocean decade is being a global program. We have, we have various pockets with different skill sets, different, um, levels of resource availability, etc. So, so Africa, what, um, I was involved right at the start and it was decided we're going to basically create from the ocean decade, we're going to create this Africa roadmap, you know, so to really say, how do we, how are we going to, how are we going to drive and strategically manage the, the ocean decade in Africa, um, and give people that sort of a direction without saying it's this big global because as you as you rightly said earlier you can get lost in in all of this as well I, I still regularly get lost from time to time so so there's a lot of lot of different actions so so the whole aim of the the roadmap was then to to bring together and and to plan for this diverse sort of stakeholders to convene and and set out some priorities what, what are the priorities that we feel that is africa specific and um, so there was a lot of work done, um, pre, pre-work uh, through a process of this co-designing, co-delivering that, that will hopefully happen in the coming years as well. But the development of all of this um, was, um, was through the momentum and really the, the engagement of, of the African member states. You know, we're all partners in the ocean decade and then with the aim of trying to, to create this platform that we can use to, to, to drive this Africa roadmap. The task force um, has now been set up to say, right, we want you to oversee and promote the implementation of this Africa roadmap. You know, so we have all of these, um, we have all of these uh, nine uh, priority uh, actions that we've that we've set out, um, and we want you as the as a task force, which is a diverse group of people, to um, to really now drive drive this um, and the implementation of this. Um, for the African continent. Um, and I think that the makeup of it is really, um, you know, I, I'm from private sector. There's someone from philanthropy. There's obviously um, scientific community from 
from the island states. We have East Africa, North Africa, Southern Africa, Red Sea, Mediterranean, Atlantic, Indian Ocean. You know, so you can understand the dynamic when you look at it in that that sense. When you look at the it's a big continent with like, many countries, exactly. <laughs> so, so this continent and it and each has different um, priorities, maybe or different um, different actions. Add to that, add to that the fact that you have different levels of, um, let's call it resource availability. You know, there, there are certain countries like a Kenya, um, or who's really really advanced in. You know, they've got a strong um, ocean science community. There's a lot of um, uh, research being done. There's uh, university levels. But there's also other countries that do not have any of this. There are countries who would literally have asked and said, you know, do you know what would be the highlight for us is if we could have a boat and just go and do some observations for two days. You know, we would be, we would be over the moon because that's not something we have. You know, so, so you have this great variance in terms of ability. Um, facilities and important to know that you know for me it's also the, the whole one of the things that's mentioned in the ocean decade and we don't always mention it that often but but it is it does get mentioned i was glad it was mentioned also at um at the, the ocean pavilion is that it is also about not leaving anybody behind you know so we can't just rush ahead with with the haves and the people who can do something it's also about those who you know we need to create capacity we need to help build up this sort of for the future in these countries who don't have anything as of yet, but who might be very heavily affected um, by any changes in the ocean. And, and exactly. If we don't include these people, then we'll have the same ocean that we have now, you know, that we can't move to transform things with the same group of stakeholders always that we've always had. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so it's really um, um, the, the task force has, has got a quite a quite a mandate to to cover. Some, sometimes I think you know we're gonna we, we really have our work cut out for it. But I think it's it's really exciting to be part of that and and to know you're doing it with the support of a whole group. Uh, you know, we have the, the we have the full support of IOC uh, of, of UNESCO IOC. Um, they really um, are very very supportive, and and I think we can still build this out even further. There's there's lots that can be done, and to to really encourage um, in, encourage uh, people to to be part of it. I think from my side personally, I think I'm just really I'm happy that we that uh, you know private sector has a has a seat at the table. Um, I, I still I think back, you know, when we started with this, I still remember then um, we were in Kenya um, doing the um, at the real start start of the of the ocean decade and. And I was the only person from private sector present. And, um, and I can tell you for the first day, a lot of people would be like, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, it was like a, a did you show up to the wrong meeting? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Oh, we've never had. And, and, and it took time to really get them to, uh, you know, people started saying, well, Oh, wait a minute. There is definitely some value to this. And, uh, and I think that realization, I mean, we've moved along from, from, those couple of years back already, and it's it's now it's like a it's like a given. We're trying to get more and more of that sort of buy-in from from the private sector, and I, and I think once we create that environment, also we'll 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 see more and more people step up without having to be asked. They'll actually step up as well. Yeah, exactly. So that's fantastic, and you know, as uh, an African, it must be so exciting for you, I think, to kind of work on this. And so where with this roadmap that you're working on with the task force, where is Africa headed? And you've talked about some of the challenges, but 
you know, what are some of the key things, if you can, you know, give us a, a highlight, some highlights of what uh, this roadmap is laying out? Yeah, and I think I think I speak for a lot of um, people in the in the African um, um, ocean um, environment, if I can call it, is that the ocean decade has really created a a opportune moment for for Africa and of and the coastal and, and ocean waters of of the around the um, continent. I mean, it's 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 an initiative that's got global traction. Um, it has um, it's it's an initiative that's trying to enable local um, knowledge from different countries, and we look at Africa in you know, a thirty thousand kilometers of coastline, uh, and if you t- then take all the exclusive economic zones because we have a couple of islands around the around the, the, the continent as well, you know that that then all gives you about one point five million square kilometers of of EEZ. So the African countries are a lot of them are, are highly dependent on the ocean. And if the ocean is under threat, then in the region, then it really just um, increases the the threat on the on those people who are maybe the most vulnerable. Um, you know, if, if I look at um, uh, climate change and, and just in general, you know, we we look at Africa and what what does Africa contribute to the the global CO two emissions? And it's three point eight percent globally, three point eight percent that comes from Africa. Now you look at uh, you then remove a couple of large Industrial countries. That's so small. <laughs> so you then remove some some large industrial countries, South Africa, Nigeria, Egypt. You know, you remove their their emissions. It drops down to like 089 percent. So so it is it is quite a harsh and a, and a quite a moral um, dilemma, I think. You know, for a country like a Mozambique or a country like a Madagascar or in the west coast, you know, you're looking at Cameroon or Equatorial Guinea. Who, who maybe contributes in the 0.000 <laughs> um, percentages in terms of emissions. But yet, when sea level rise comes, when you have all of these, these impacts from climate change, they're affected and, they, and their livelihoods are also then um, affected quite, quite heavily. So I think that the whole aspect of, of creating that environment for the scientific community in Africa uh, with the Ocean Decade is, is hugely exciting. Um, I think for for the the main message, I think that I, that we'd like to keep keep drum keep it, keep on hitting this drum is um, we want to avoid the, the sort of parachute science. You know, come in, fly in, and then leave after after two years. You know, so a lot of it is about, as I mentioned. You know, some of these countries do not have the large universities or oceanographic institutes, and and this is an opportunity to try and create something that is longer than what the ocean decade is. You know, so past the ocean decade that we can say, well, you know, here's something that's that's created. So, so also then just looking at you know the the nine. If we, if we uh, mentioned earlier, we've got these nine priorities for the for the decade actions for Africa, and 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 those are you know sustainable ocean management in Africa. So again, you know, it's, it's about sustainability. Um, ocean and human health in Africa. So we have, you know, there's fishing communities. Is you know what what is that? What does that mean for Africa? Um, the blue carbon potential of Africa, fisheries, illegal, unreported, unregulated fisheries in Africa, huge problems. Um, strengthening some multi-hazard early warning systems and, and community resilience. Again, you know, mentioning those who are at risk 
of all these climate effects um you know how do we how do we really incorporate and 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 resolve that for them ocean observations and forecasting systems for africa we have um there's large areas that there's just no observations no nothing is there so how can we create some some future um possibilities and then digital twins for africa um another very important one strengthening the cap capacities and skill of the of the african early career ocean professionals how do we how do we really encourage a young um ocean scientist to say this is a career that we can we without you having to leave your country and go and study at some university or or go and do some research at at an, in another country how can you how can we help you to contribute in your country which a, a lot of them and i've met quite a couple of them um over the years and there's some fantastic examples of of what they you know the energy that they bring and what they would like to do and then the last one was on a regional ocean literacy program and i think that's also that's key to all of this is creating that ocean literacy you know as you'll know you know we 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 want to really be able for people to start understanding what is it what is it that is there out there and 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 not at every conversation where you mention something people go oh i didn't know that <laughs> so so it'll be great that you know these kind of aspects will um, will start start taking some some form that's so important and because i think all of these aspects that you mentioned are going to be key to the overall ocean decade but the power of it is like you mentioned before the bottom up and the top down kind of combination and so being able to think specifically about okay what does Africa as the continent need, and then thinking more specifically on a on a country or a regional level within the continent too, and then learning from what others in the overall ocean decade have done, and taking it you know home and applying it there, and then taking learnings there and applying it elsewhere as well. It's just um, that's so exciting, especially the the ECOP part of it. I think is uh, I have been very involved with kind of the global ECOP since the beginning, and so that's such a crucial bit that we don't want all the best minds in countries to have to leave to then come back and help or maybe not come back. And that's just, um, that's a really exciting piece of it. Yeah. And I think, you know, when it comes also to, to, um, to Africa, I think what we've also find is, you know, they, some people just want to, they want to share and they want to tell their story, you know, and, and it's not, they might not, we might not have the solution for them, but, but at least, and I don't think they even expect us to give them the, the solution and the answer, but they want to share their story. They want to, they want us to listen and say, you know, take on board. This is where I come from. I live in Zanzibar and I have this challenge where I used to uh, harvest seagrass and now it's not there anymore or whatever the example is, you know? So, so, and that's, I think the, the importance also of the, of the decade is around just um, letting people share those stories in some way and, and let us listen to it. And then, yeah, as I mentioned, you know, it's, it's really about leaving no one behind in the end. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think that, um, we're going to now turn to cop and the, you know, the first Africa cop as they've called it, which I had my own kind of <laughs> thoughts and reservations about how can a single conference represent an entire continent. Um, but you know, it's, it was, it was a fantastic opportunity to have, you know, cop in that region for the very first time, you had way less jet lag than I did, which was, <laughs> I'm very glad for that other people didn't have to, <laughs> yeah. it's good to break it up that uh, not everyone has to, 
everyone flies all over the world and at least someone gets a break <laughs> some of the times for the long flights. But yeah. <laughs> um, the Ocean Decade was involved and Fugger was involved with, with COP27 this year. Um, I mentioned in part one of this podcast, which you haven't listened to, but <laughs> I recorded the other week that um, there was the first Ocean Pavilion, uh, which was really exciting to have that kind of space and focus for Ocean. Um, so just tell me a bit about your experience at COP. What did you do? What did you think of it? What did you think about Sharm El Sheikh? What did you think about the long lines for all the weird food and the <laughs> that was just like nuts <laughs> at first in the in the blue zone? Um, yeah, give me your perspective. Yeah, no, perfect. No, I think I think hugely exciting for was the it was my first COP. So so I, I of course I have nothing to compare it against. I was, was literally mine too. In, I know. So yeah, nothing <laughs> to compare. <laughs> Exactly. So, so I had no way to, to compare against, but, but I think, you know, just the, the whole aspect of having the ocean pavilion, I think that was, I've spoken to people who are not even, their aim of being there had nothing to do with the oceans. And they were excited about having an ocean pavilion. I mean, it, it's, it was people who had, had no interest in, in the ocean in terms of their reason, but it was great just to have that ocean pavilion there. Um, you know, also the draw card of, you know, we had John Kerry um, coming down there and, and just standing there listening to him speak at the Ocean Pavilion. Um, uh, it, it was it was such a great opportunity, I think, to really, again, create that message. Um, and I was I was really surprised, you know, as I said, my first cop. So when people said, oh, we've never had an Ocean Pavilion here before. This is the first time ever. I was like, wow, it's taken us 27 cops to... Um, to realize that we live on a blue, we live on a blue planet. <laughs> but anyway, so um, yep. so that's um, I think that was really great. Um, yeah, it, it was. I think that my my impression is, you know, there there was as you said, there was a lot going on, and there's a lot of agendas. You know, people pe- there are people who have their agenda. They there for their aspect and be that agriculture or be that gender or be whatever the the the, the reason for being there was. Um, so this, it, it's really intense in that in that space. Um, I think what's also nice is that you know you 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 tend to then get to see where where are the the linkages. You know where do you bring the one to the other? I think I personally learned a lot. I, I um, you know just just listening to. I think the main thing was to listen a lot as well to find out you know what's going on and 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 what people have to say and how they perceive certain things. Um, so that was that was really great. So I took part in. Um, uh, I was invited by by um, UNESCO IOC and then took part in a um, in a discussion at the at the Ocean Pavilion, which was on United Nations Ocean Decade Africa Roadmap and to benefit climate action. So a little bit about what we spoke about now. You know, also how does um, uh, there was also a, a session on uh, you know the challenges of financing financing the ocean science for climate action. You know. And, the role of private sector and all of this, um, and then in, and then I had a very interesting one as well, which uh, was a regarding um, it was a officials shipping uh, side event, uh, which was about the uh, the path to net zero carbon emissions, um, and and how does that relate to shipping? You know, and how do we because we have some we have made some some strides and we're involved in a in a lot of um, actions, but again, you know, there. You meet other people, you speak to them, and then you, and then they're like, "Oh, we 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 don't know about this. This is really interesting for us." So I think a lot of the stuff was also about connecting and and creating awareness 
cross cross silo if i can call it maybe maybe silo is a, is a harsh word but but i do feel you know there's so many agendas yeah silo is a fair word i even think of walking around cop it was like each of the pavilions was almost like its own little silo to me you know it's like do you have your own agendas and your own things and it's I remember when I was trying to look up, you know, what events are going on, it's impossible to find out what everything is. Sometimes you just have to stumble upon things because there's no <laughs> other way to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it, it, exactly that, you know, you stumble on something and then, um, but then you, my, my concern is also what else did I miss out on? Because <laughs> I stumbled on this. Oh, there must have the, been 20 other FOMO. things that I missed. I know. <laughs> oh, no, that's interesting. I know. But um, but yeah, no. So I think that was that was great. I, I also an event that I actually really and I don't know whether which date were you you were there in the were you there in the first week or the second week? I was there the very end of the first week, so I first came in on the twelfth and then was there the whole second week. So I missed all of the Ocean Decade activities, sadly, but um, have gotten to watch some of them afterwards. Yes, because there was a, there was a there was an event uh, Ocean X Summit um, that they mm-hmm. also offsite that was held. And that was also quite interesting. I think yeah, it was just I heard a, about that. It was just a break from the normal, you know, from that intense um, blue zone activity. Um, and what I, what was really great is they had they had this guy. Um, oh, I've forgotten his name now off the top of my head, but he he does. Um, um, it's like the sounds of the ocean. I think it's, it's, I think that's what he calls himself. Uh, sounds of the ocean, and he and he plays this this music that is. Um, together with the sounds of uh, dolphins, whales, you know, and he, and he creates it into like a, like a music piece. And they started off the event at this. And, and I actually met up with the guy afterwards and I said, you know what, they should actually make all of these people at the, all the decision makers at, um, at COP who sit in the delegation rooms till late at night, they should make them start in the morning with one of these sessions. Cause I think it was about 10 or 15 minutes. But everybody just kind of sat dead still and quiet. And you just, you could close your eyes if you want. That and you just so relaxing. It's so relaxing. And it just set the tone for the for the day. You know, it kind of just brought everything down four or five notches. So I said to him, I think next year they should they should have him into one of those delegation rooms and say, everybody sit down, play some sounds of the ocean, and get everybody back in, back in tune with where they have to be um, before they deliberate. De- de- Oh my gosh, that's so true. <laughs> or just piped through all the blue zone. You know, just everyone hears it all the time. <laughs> we'll make that suggestion for COP28 in Dubai next year. <laughs> I think that's going to be even busier if you ask me. Uh, yeah, uh, if you saw the the UAE pavilion, did you see that one? Yes, yes. No, it was huge. It was no. massive. And just, the pr- it's prettier than my house. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it was um, it was it was enormous. Yeah. So no, it was good, but I think you know, yeah, one of the things I still, you know, as I said, there's lots of agendas. I think it's about how do we bring all of the, how do we bring that together? You know, how do they how do they mesh all of these things together? Because there's, you know, as I mentioned shipping earlier. You know, there's definitely there's this drive for to get the to a zero a net zero carbon emissions you know for for the shipping industry so the statistic that uh, john Kerry gave about uh, if shipping was a country it would be the eighth largest emitter of emissions that's probably one of the ones yep that statistic and when you were saying earlier you know the emissions from africa it's like wow shipping is 
almost all of Africa. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. so and exactly. So, so, but then you know, together with that, there's the there's the part about being a just transition. You know, you know, how do we? It, it's it's not so clear cut that we can do the one. And and I think the same is with with Africa. You know, if I, um, you know, we we talk energy transition in Africa. And, and we've often, you know, I was on, on a different panel as well. And, and then they, I said, well, you know, you have to, if you transition, you're going from one to the another. In Africa, there's 600 million people, 600 million who do not have access to energy. They have no access. They, they're burning pieces of wood to cook on and they don't have access to energy. So if you tell them, you know, you have to, there's an energy transition, you know, what are you transitioning from? You don't even have, you don't have basic energy. So how do you transition to something new? I do think there's a there's an opportunity though you know certain things you know we could, Africa has the opportunity to skip some levels it's like like a computer game they can skip a few levels because you know whatever the the rest of the world might have gone to get to something if if you're starting now from scratch you know there's an opportunity to really sort of hit two steps ahead and say well you know for for one there's enough sun sunlight in Africa and and we do have enough wind as well um and, 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 you know, again, it's a just transition. So, you know, natural gas is also has its role to play. So, so one has to look at that moral aspect of how do you, how do you bring the two together um, in, a, in a just manner? Um, and I think that's, that's always going to be the challenge. I mean, you, with shipping, I think you have the same, that same um, narrative. Yep, exactly. Um, that's one of our one of my good friends and partners at the UN Global Compact released something at COP on the uh, how to transition the maritime workforce and the upskilling that's needed and that sort of thing. Since uh, many most mariners come from uh, third world countries around the world, and how how do we make sure that those individuals aren't less left behind with the new technologies that are coming on board? And how do we make sure that uh, they still have good paying jobs that are safe and they can you know, be proud of the work that they do because they, as we've learned during COVID, they support the global economy in a way that no one really fully recognized before. Yeah. Yeah. Countries like, I mean, look at like the Philippines, you know, they, they, they supply workforce all over the world. And, and that those I've sailed offshore with, with a lot of this, a lot of the Marine staff um, who are from the Philippines. And, you know, when you sit down and you chat to the chat to somebody over a cup of coffee and you understand how many people does he support, with him being at sea for four months, he returns home for not very long, but, um, but he has, you know, it's not just him and his wife and two children. <laughs> There's quite an extended family that, that all rely on him <laughs> to bring in those, um, that, that, uh, yeah, that, that revenue that he earns at sea. So yeah, it's a very, it's a very difficult, um, yeah, we need to make sure. And I think there are solutions, eh? they, you know, they can be just because we do certain, um, mission changes it's about reskilling it's about using people in different abilities I, I guess it's the same discussion often about ai and things like that you know it's like you know the aim is not to just replace people it's to maybe f- use them in a different skill set and 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 apply them in in other manners that, that they add value so but not not easy yep that's why we need bottom-up top-down private sector public sector everyone involved uh with with the ocean decade to make sure that no one's left behind um so i'm going to go back a little bit broader here and this is a question i finish out all of my my podcast with though 
Speaking of the ocean decade overall, you know, what would be a quote successful decade according to you? What would have happened by the time we'd reached the end of this decade that uh, you would say, wow, this was worth me being involved in and Fugger being involved in? Um, we've done a good thing here. Yeah, that's quite an interesting thought, and I haven't haven't sort of formalized that in my head quite well. But I, I would say, you know, I'd say there's two there's two levels. There's the, this is sort of the global the global overall view, you know, without delving too, too deeply into the different specifics. But, you know, I, I would kind of like to say that in in um, 10 or 15 years, people actually look back and say, well, um, they can't believe that we do, we didn't do these these things back in, back in the 2022, you know, so that they actually realize that the change that's been made, it's, it's almost unbelievable that we didn't, we didn't apply these earlier. So, so that's a kind of, that's, probably on the global side. And I think similarly on, for, for me from the Fugro side, really because we, we've sort of focused in on the, on the, on the geodata um, side of things. And specifically in terms of data that's acquired um, globally um, and making that accessible to scientific communities to, to really drive decision-making. And if, and if we can get to a, uh, similarly to get to a position where, you know, there's, there's so much, um, and we do that for clients as well, eh? you know. So, so we we get contracted to go and do a, uh, you know, in in my in my business, uh, we had environmental baseline surveys to be done off the coast of Angola, and I can tell you it's it's hugely expensive. You know, we 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 do a invest a benthic survey of the seabed. There's a seabed mapping. It's it's about um, classifying all the different um, seabed um, fauna um, uh, materials found. Um, they, maybe there's even some geotechnical investigation, you know, what is the soil, all of that. So all of that, if you add in the vessel time, you add in the scientific community that's, or the scientists that we deploy and employ to do this, the laboratory work that, that, that goes in afterwards. If you look at that whole project, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an expensive um, project, but that sits with a client for their project purposes. And if we can unlock that, in that um, it needs to work for both parties. So, so, so if that is available for scientific community to then utilize, but similarly that the, the company who acquired it, you know, it's, it's not a case of sort of releasing uh, everything onto the open market after having paid for it. It's, it's, it's at what level do you create access and at what level do you say, well, this is for the good of the, of the, of society. Um, and then if we can find those those um, linkages where it works for both parties and, and it becomes automatic, I think then I'd be then I can sleep um, really well at night and knowing that um, that we can actually create that environment where where that data is available for everybody um, to to utilize in a positive way. That's fantastic. I love the kind of two part approach you take to that. It's always fun to hear what people say to this. Uh, the answer to this. I'm really hoping at one point I can take all of them from all of the episodes and just combine <laughs> it into one to, you know, hear what everyone, what everyone has to say. But so thank you so much for joining me today. Where can the audience go to learn more about Fugro, your efforts for the ocean decade? Uh, is there any place that we can uh, send people to? Um, yeah, I mean, they can, they can follow Fugro on, um, on our LinkedIn pages. We also, we always um, try and uh, communicate as much as we can um, together with, with what we do in the renewable space in any any of our operations as well and obviously def definitely on the 
the ocean decade. Um, and uh, yeah, or www.fugro.com is, is always a, a, a general place to start. And um, yeah, I think if I'd love to also hear, you know, if people are, are open to, you know, giving their suggestions and, and or even just, you know, giving their, their, what are their, what are their views? How do they see all of this happening? Do they, do they feel, do they feel private sector is doing enough or do they feel they're not, not doing enough, you know? Um, I think I mentioned earlier to you uh, about, you know, being the right thing to do. And, and, um, but I, I also, you know, in the day and age that we're in now, uh, you know, as, as Fugro part of the leadership, you know, we having employee engagement is, is crucial. You know, it's a, it's an important part. I mean, any in specifically nowadays, I think a lot of people, they want to do something, they want to work with a company where they know there's a purpose. They, they want to know that what they do is they're doing it for a, for a reason, they're not just there. They're not just a number. They they're engaged in the company, and if they're not happy, if they're not engaged, you know, people change jobs. You know, compared to if I look at my grandfather, he started a job, and I think he finished at the same job at the age of sixty-five. So, so people are a lot more available to you know. They want to do something that they that they feel they have, they've got a purpose for. And and what I've seen is you know we we spend time on that, but something like like being involved in the ocean decade has already created a lot of that sort of engagement of employees and to maybe to end off on a, on a happy note is that, you know, we had in, in Cape Town, we had our staff actually initiate a, a beach cleanup, you know, and it, it's in the bigger scheme of things, you know, it's one beach, it's two hours. But, but I think the, the, the what I enjoyed was seeing that it comes from the staff. It wasn't management that said, we will, you will be mustering on the beach at zero nine hundred. You know, yeah. It was not that it's, <laughs> it's from the people said, we'd like to do this. And then we said, yeah, we'll create the environment and let's do it. You know, so, and I think that's the kind of engagement we want to create with stuff. So at the same thing, you know, if people want to engage with Fugro and say, listen, you know, how, how do we also get involved or how do, what do you, what are your thoughts on it? I'd you know, love to hear it. Yes. So that's fantastic. Everyone uh, take that call seriously and we'll <laughs> communicate back to Yago some of anything that you all say. So thank you so much for joining me and providing, you know, this great background on, yourself and Fugro and we, co we covered a lot of topics the Africa task force cop it's um it was a very overarching episode which I always love those kinds of things um and a, and a great person to have a conversation with so thank you so much thanks everyone for listening and we will see you in the new year